On this episode of Chew Diligence, distiller Benet Shannon of Restless Spirits. There aren't very many people making good stuff. So I got to go make my own. <laughs> so I have something I can drink. The former high school science teacher turned distiller. It's like lab day every day. <laughs> you can just create an experiment and it's... So that part is what appealed to me. It may have started with her family's dream to distill Irish whiskey. But whiskey has to age. So what do you do in the meantime to keep you from going broke? You still got to pay bills because you're a business. And so most distillers will start with clear spirits. But now with their gin, it's a whole new ball game. We've got a bar at Kaufman, and it's just so amazing. When we first walked through there and saw it. It was like tears. It was like, wow, this is incredible. That still leaves time for distilling their first passion. We have the Sons of Aaron Irish whiskey. That's the one that we import. So we have a grain whiskey, which um, do we have time to geek out on Irish whiskey? Yeah, let's do. do it. Welcome to this episode of Chew Diligence. Lindsay Shively here with Jill Silva in the 41 Action News podcast studio. Hi, Jill. Hey, Lindsay. It feels like a long time since Sight I've seen sword. you, girl. I, yeah, I know it. Back from Super Bowl coverage, which, go Chiefs, fabulous. Which you did an incredible job, oh, I must say. That's so nice. Thank you. Yes, you really, really did a great job. They're so. really fun to talk about. Well, of course they are, <laughs> but you had to talk for many hours, so, you know. <laughs> I was thinking at some point you'd just look over at me and go, uh, <laughs> your question. <laughs> but you didn't do it. Well, we do such a good job talking here. You got me ready for it, right? There you go. Our conversations in studio with us. We have Benet Shannon from Restless Spirits Distillery. Thank you so much for coming. Well, thank you for the invitation. I enjoy this. A lot of really cool stories to talk about with Benet coming up. But as we always do, let's start with first the food. Jill? So I was really hungry after my first Casey Mavs game, hockey. Oh, that's fun. Hadn't been. It was very interesting. Good crowds, right? Right. And then I was hungry after. (laughs) So I'm like, where can we go? And I started thinking food halls, right? Maybe they would be open late because it was probably about 1030 at this point. And Otavio, my husband, said, "Um, Strang Hall, it's open till 1. It is? (laughs) Well... There was hardly anyone there. I don't know if that will continue to be a thing or not. But yes, so I walked in as Anarum was sort of getting ready to (laughs) clean up. And um, yeah, it was a party. It was a reunion. And he made an amazing amount of food. I mean, it was embarrassing. Look at my Instagram. (laughs) It was, you know, when Anarum says, let me feed you family style, watch out. So Anusones, anybody wants to check that out. We had an episode where we talked about his story, a refugee from Laos, and incredible food. Incredible. Mm. And it seems like String Hall's doing quite well. That's great to hear. Very busy. Not when I was there, but I heard from everyone that it's been just nonstop. Well, that's great to know late night noshing can happen. (laughs) 1 a.m.? That's what it said. And I said, that's got to be wrong. And so we walked in, and it was really you know, winding down. There were not very many people there, but yeah. Anarum, you know, 
came to the rescue. Yes, he took care of me. That's pretty fabulous. (laughs) It was awesome. Uh, I haven't really been out to eat too many places since I've been gone, but while I was in Miami, I could not stop drinking cafecitos and Cuban coffee and oh my goodness. Well, you had to stay wired, right? Seriously. And I I made the mistake the first time of getting, they give you the, I think it's a colada. That's probably wrong, but they give you the little tiny cups on top. I didn't realize it's because you're supposed to share. And I was just... (laughs) You're like, all mine. Delightful. So I was asking people where we can get them here uh, because I love them so much. And Andres Gutierrez, one of our reporters, who also loves food like we do, said you can go to Chips and Coin and KCK and get Cuban coffee. I don't even know that name. That's incredible. Chips and Coin. I should, I'm ready. I should double check that. But yeah. Ready right? to roll. So there's your tip for the day. I've not yet tried it, but I can't wait to go. Chips and Coin and KCK. Very cool. Checking my Insta. Oh, yep. Chips and coins. Chips and coins. In okay. KCK is it is it newer or is it just something we haven't heard of? I don't know. I think I looked up. It's part uh, store, mm-hmm. part grocery store too, and it's close oh, to downtown. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So if anybody goes, let us know on the gram how you like it. Benay, where do you love to go eat in Kansas City? Um, well, if I'm going to go out and grab a bite some night. Um, and I'm not working, <laughs> right? Because that sometimes determines where I go. Um, I'll I like to go to Rock Hill Grill. I like their they have an appetizer that's just a salmon spread, and it, it's like a salmon salad. And I just eat that mm-hmm. and have a couple of cocktails. They have a couple of amazing cocktails that they use my spirits for. They have one. Um, so the story this is a good story that goes with it too. So they've got one that's called Medicinal Purposes. <laughs> And great name. Uh, and actually, my husband and I named it. It wasn't like on purpose, but we were there one night and sitting at the bar and talking to Mikey, who's the the bartender creator, makes all these fabulous cocktails there. And uh, he said, yeah, I'm playing around with this thing with the gin because I just love your gin and it can do so many cool things. And so I've been trying this. You want to try this and see what you think. And they were like, well, we're not really trying to drink a lot tonight, but, you know, it, for medicinal purposes, we'll, we'll have this. <laughs> and so it stuck. And so that's what they called it on the menu is medicinal purposes. And it's that's one of my favorites. And then there's one they've had for quite a while. They call it the Brooklyn Bridge. And they call it that because it's kind of a take on a Manhattan, but it's with mm. our Stonebreaker whiskey and some um, coffee liqueur. And it's really tasty. I, we have that liqueur. one for dessert. <laughs> with the liqueur, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah the, 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 the Brooklyn Bridge is dessert and the medicinal purposes is appetizer. Man, and it, <laughs> that sounds amazing. In five years, is that how long Restless Spirits has been around now? Yeah, it's going on five years that we've been open down there. That's a big milestone. I know. I know. That's crazy. We, uh, we started our company in 2014, but uh, that was when we, you know, got our... LLC established and did all that. Um, and then all of 2015 was all about building, creating and licensing. And ah, and uh, we found a great home in North Kansas City. Mm. And I think that helped a lot, just getting established there and having the perfect location for what we're trying to do. It was great. And then 2016 is when we officially opened to the public, but we started in 2015 actually distilling. Oh, Yeah. Five years later. And I mean, the famous story I hear from you all the time about you, I should say, is that this is a big departure from your previous career. You were a science teacher? I was a science teacher. Yeah, I taught high school science at Park Hill South High School. Um, 
really just the only thing about distilling and alcohol and all of it that appealed to me was that it was, it's like lab day every day. <laughs> you can just create and experiment, and it's so that part is what appealed to me. I really honestly was not into alcohol at all before this. And really? now I discovered that you can, you know, it's because there aren't very many people making good stuff. So I got to go make my own. <laughs> so I have something I can drink. So yeah, so that's been fun. And I've heard you say you, you get the Breaking Bad comparison occasionally. I do. <laughs> and you know, it, you'd think after five years of getting that, I would at some point watch the show. <laughs> you don't want to know. <laughs> I am right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little scary, I think. Right. I have, I've only watched a couple episodes, but oh, there you go. I think I get the idea. Yeah, right, I think you right. do too. <laughs> so I just, I always just come back with, oh, it's more like Breaking Awesome. Because <laughs> That's right. At least it's legal. <laughs> right. What I do is legal. Not breaking any laws there. That's right. Uh, yeah. So how did you guys get started in this? Well, you know, it was, you know, you get to a point in your life where it's like, oh, the kids are moving out. Oh it's kind of a life change. Are we going to do something different? You know, so in the back of your head, it's kind of like, you know, the whole midlife crisis thing. But we uh, were at a distillery in um, Denver and took a little tour of it. And it was a very simple affair. And really, that's how craft distilling started. These small little places, um, not very complicated, not a lot of heavy machinery, nothing. And we walked around in there, and Mike, my husband, his background is all about product development and, and brands. And he said, oh, you could the brand, the potential, you know, and he was just really drawn to this whole idea of creating his own brand. And where I'm looking at it, I'm saying, oh, just think of all the fun you could have. It's like your own lab, giant size. <laughs> and so between the two of us and the fact that um, this industry appealed to both of our natures and our characters and our experiences, it sort of pulled us in. And over the next, I would say, five years of research and and writing a business plan and everything, we had our ups and downs. But anytime I was like, you know, I don't know if I really want to do this, he'd be all gung-ho. Oh, we're totally into this. And then he would hit a wall and I would be, you know, oh, yeah, let's make this happen. You know, so it was back and forth. And by the time we finally got to the point where it was time, we were ready. Mm. Yeah. So it took us about five years, though, to get it all put together. So we've been doing this now, if you think about that, for probably 10 or 11 years. Did you um, did you live in Colorado at the time, or were you on vacation? Well, uh, we met in Colorado. I actually grew up out there. I grew up in Gunnison. Oh, I don't know if you're familiar okay. with Colorado at all. I but... grew up in Aurora. Yep. Yeah. So we met at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Okay. Believe it or not, in music school. Mm. I'm CSU, not music school, but I did play the cello back in the day. So you did. Yes, there we go. I played oboe. Yeah, we're like kindred spirits here. Absolutely. (laughs) My sister went to CSU, but um, it's a good school too. (laughs) It is nice. I love Fort Collins. Oh, it's such a nice place. Um, But yeah, we met in Boulder in music school. So, like I said, I played oboe, and he was a saxophone performance major. So he actually graduated with a degree in saxophone performance <laughs> and went to work, you know, in branding and marketing, which is amazing, crazy. But he, um, you know, his is a whole long life story. His <laughs> his gift is networking. He is a people person. That is a gift. That is a mm-hmm. gift, and he has it. Um, but that's, I think, what helped us to be successful. But that's where we met, was in Colorado, and then moved and moved and moved and moved. So we moved from Colorado to Florida 
to Connecticut, to Chicago, and then back to Kansas City, which is where Mike's originally from. His family was all here, so we ended up back here again. But that's, I don't know, it's kind of a long story. And were you, did <laughs> you teach cool, out of college straight out all the way up until? No, no, I didn't. I actually, um, I call this my third career. Mm-hmm. My first career was stay-at-home mom. Sure. So I stayed home with the kids for 15 years, did that, and then started teaching, did that for, if you count all the subbing and everything, probably another 15 years. And so I guess I got to give myself 15 on the distilling and then it's time to find something else. I don't know. <laughs> You're already five in. <laughs> I know. Sounds well, like the 15 year plan. The 15 sure. year plan. <laughs> we have to bring up that you are, as far as we know, the only woman who is a distiller in Kansas and Missouri. That's what I, I haven't met any other woman distiller. If there's another one out there, you know, reach out, touch base with me, please. I need a network. Why, why but, do you think it's, it's, there aren't more women? It's, you know, it's just traditionally not that kind of an industry. And being a distiller is a lot of hard work. There's a lot of heavy lifting and there's, there's a lot of that that goes into it. And then, you know, plus a lot of times it's just the image of being a distiller. You picture, especially in Missouri and Kansas, you kind of picture Piper, the bearded guy (laughs) with, you know, the funny straw hat and the Piper, the, you know, whatever. Um, So moonshiner. So I think because of that, too, that kind of keeps women away. But I should say there should be more women just because we have, you know, much better sense of smell and taste than men do. So we should obviously be the distillers because we can make better product. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I knew that. That's really that's 50% really moral factory women than really? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah. Wow. I know. So when you, you know, so when women are like, don't you smell that? And men are <laughs> That's true. That's because they really don't. <laughs> oh my gosh! I yeah, I had never like sort of. These are the things we learned when we have a science teacher that. exactly on the, uh, podcast because <laughs> we are so not science. <laughs> That's amazing. I don't even know necessarily if I could say what a distiller's day to day is. I mean, what do you do in a day? Distilling product. Well, heck, a lot of it's cleaning. Mm. So there's another reason, right? right? Yeah, everything. There's a lot of cleaning that goes. I bet 85 percent of what we do is clean. Wow. And then wait, because a lot of it's waiting. So you wait for the mash, and you wait for the fermentation, and you wait for the still to run, and you wait for the barrels to age. So you have to be patient too. Mm. So see, there's all these feminine traits. You got to be patient. (laughs) You got to have a good sense of smell. But um, yeah, so like a typical day, if I get in there about. Uh, 7.30 or 8, um, well, wash some stuff. I've usually got stuff soaking in the sink, so I clean all the fittings and sanitize all that stuff. That put away. I do the blow down on the boiler. So I've learned a lot of things. I've learned how to maintain a boiler. Hmm. I've learned how to drive a forklift. I've learned all this great That sounds fun, actually. It is kind of fun. Yeah. I've actually got a card that certifies me. <laughs> I was going to say, you need certification. Driver. Yes, <laughs> I'm certified. I'm a certified forklift driver. <laughs> So, yeah, so that's a lot of fun. But, yeah, mostly it's it, cleaning and record keeping. So after I get done with that cleaning stuff, we check everything, make sure all the records have been recorded, all the readings, take measurements on the proof of what ran yesterday and mm. fermentation, how the, the sugar conversion is going and, I mean, just all kinds of stuff. As, stupid question. Is there a recipe that you stick to or does it evolve or do you need the consistency with your product? Consistency. So I have a specific, I guess you could call it recipe. We call it a grain bill. Grain bill. Mm-hmm. Grain bill because I'm making whiskey, so it all starts with grain. Mm. And then uh, same yeast every time to keep it consistent. 
there are always going to be some small variations just because if there's a change in the temperature or you know, the amount of time it takes or the viability of the yeast at that particular time, there's going to be some small variations, but we aim for consistency. Plus, I've got a couple of guys that um, I call them my boys. So they're in their 30s, but one of them's <laughs> my son, so they can be my boys. But they, uh, I'm, you know, training them and they're helping me out because, like I said, it's it's heavy lifting and I'm getting older. So, <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's a lot of distilling going on in Kansas City in the last yes. decade or so. Amazing. Um, are you guys close and do you feel a part of sort of that maybe boys club? Well, so when we first all kind of start, we all kind of start at the same time too, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. But we did start meeting together and we kind of hung out like once a month, we'd get together, Kansas City Distillers, you know, having coffee or whatever. Hmm. Um, And we tried to do that every month. We did for probably a couple of years. We'd visit each other's distilleries and talk about how do you record your taxes for whatever, you know, all this paperwork. Um, And honestly, I felt like I was the den mother. <laughs> Two thing. I mean, I'm a woman for one thing, and they're all younger. I mean, late twenties, thirties. I'm in my fifties. I'm a grandma, so it was kind of. I mean, they're still friends, but you know, it's just different. Like I said, then mother. <laughs> yeah, you weren't you weren't talking about the same things, probably. No, no. gotcha. I, I actually, um, I think there was a story in the Star about that group. Mm, and yeah, on the, wrote, mm-hmm. yeah. I think when we we all had a gin, and I think she did a piece about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it looked like everybody was, you know, good friends. But yeah, yeah, we kind of a support network. Yeah. as far as we can. So you, you know. can call them if you need something or you have a question, but you're not not meeting regularly anymore. Yeah, not it. No, we just don't have time or opportunity. All of our businesses have grown. So, how important is it to have? Um, uh, a relationship with lots of the bartenders in town. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know, we're sitting there at Rock Hill and Mikey yeah. um, creates something. I mean, I feel like that's kind of the way you have to go. To that really is the in. way you have to do it. Um, you know, there's a, it's called the three tier system. I don't know if you're familiar with um, how alcohol is distributed, but the supplier, which is us, the maker, has to go through a distribution channel and then you go to the retailer or the restaurant or whatever. Um, and, you know, sometimes having all those layers makes it a little bit difficult to get your product noticed and sold because a distributor, you know, they have to distribute everybody. So there may be three distributors in town, but think of all the different kinds of alcohol that you see on the shelf. They have to do all that. So it's important to go out and you know, talk to the retailer and talk to the bartenders and help them know more about your product because a distributor doesn't have time to, you know, talk mm-hmm. about everything. Mm-hmm. And they don't have the story the way that we have the story. Because obviously I know the gin and they would be like, oh, yeah, I've heard about this gin, you know. So well, you're the story, right? right? I mean. Well, there, yeah, there's that. There's a lot of stories in our story. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's very important to make those connections. Yeah. Um, I have a um, gal that does sales for us and she does. um, We've got 11 states now, so her territory is expanding. Yeah. But she's awesome. She can she's a network almost like my husband is. Um, She can make connections with folks and it's really incredible. So she does a great job. She's in Oklahoma and Kansas and Missouri and Iowa. So she has 
a lot of those states. And and Boston? Boston is uh, our other sales rep, but yeah, so she hasn't done our Boston yet. Crazy thing, you know, so we go out to Boston. Opening day for the Red Sox is the same day as opening day for the Royals, or home openers. So we have to be at Kaufman and Fenway at the same time on the same day. And because they serve your spirits. Yeah. It, they serve the gin? The gin. The yeah. Gin. So Builder's Gin is the... It's proudly served at the K. We uh, we aren't official gin of the Royals. We didn't. We have to pay for that. Be able to say that we didn't pay the extra for that. But we're we've got a bar at Kaufman, and it's just so amazing. When we first walked through there and saw it, it was like tears. It was like, wow, this is incredible. And then um, because it was so incredible, someone at the Red Sox called us and said, you know what, you did it. At Kaufman, we'd like to see what we could do along those same lines at Fenway. And we were like, Red Sox, really? I mean, what an icon. And so we, you know, we talked to them without really any hope that it would happen because that's expensive. And, you know, we don't, we're not rolling in dough. We look like a bigger company because our branding is so well done, but we, Every month, it's like, okay, are we paying our bills? Let's go, guys. <laughs> so we're not rolling in the dough, but um, we made that one happen. We reached out to everybody we knew and said, hey, we've got this opportunity. What do you think? And they're like, oh, do it. We got this. We backstop you. We totally, this is, you got to do this. So this is our first year officially in Fenway um, for the baseball season. We're actually wow. going to be in Fort Myers next week for spring training, hosting their party. Oh, that's yeah. exciting. I know. It's kind of crazy. Is this recent? Yeah. I, I guess I just, um, you might think of baseball as like beer and peanuts, you know, and obviously they've served a lot of other things for a while, but you are, I feel like you're seeing at the stadiums more and more. Yeah, it definitely has changed. And I think that's why a lot of the sports teams have been reaching out to us because they want help making the transition away from the beer and peanuts, which are still there. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are wanting more of an experience when they go places and not just to sit and watch the game, mm-hmm. which, you know, is, I guess that's good, too, because then if the team isn't doing so great, people will still go because they're having another experience. Mm-hmm. Well, so a lot of people fun. don't drink beer. Right. That mm-hmm. still want to go to the game. They still want to go to the game. So you want to have something. And, um, you know, Builder's Margarita, which is a gin margarita, is so amazing to have in the summertime. It's so refreshing. A gin margarita. Yeah. It doesn't work with every gin, but it works with builders. It's pretty awesome. So how do you get noticed in Boston, though, when you're a Kansas City company? I would almost think they would be looking for, you know, a hometown. You would, yeah. Well, we were surprised, too. But um, I think a lot of it was, um, A, we really executed well when we had the chance at Kaufman. And B, they all have the same concessionaire. So they're basically two big concessionaires, people that provide the food and drink at the stadiums. And Aramark, Aramark. does Kaufman and Fenway mm. and several others, of course. But I think that connection helped to bring it together. Plus, you know, someone we were actually working with um, at the Red Sox, we were talking about I don't even know, affiliation with the team or whatever. And he says, well, you know, I don't really work for the Red Sox. I work for baseball. Hmm. So, you know, because he was taught, I don't remember if we were talking about pay scale or what we were talking about, but he was like, I work for baseball. Like the game. It's the game. Mm -hmm. And so it didn't matter 
what stadium you're in or where you're working. They, they go around and work in different stadiums. We actually met someone at the Mets because they called us too. And we're like, well, we're taken. But um, we met someone there who used to work in Kansas City. And now he's there. And it's wow. just they just travel around. Because they love know. the game. Because they love the game wherever they can find it. So for the Red Sox, you are the official gin. We are the official gin of the Red Sox. We can put the Red Sox logo on the bottle and everything. So you can serve other stadiums, but you can't be the official anywhere else. Right. Okay. Right. That's fun. Yeah. It is fun. Are you a baseball fan? Is your husband a baseball fan? Well, you know, we're sort of becoming baseball fans. <laughs> <laughs> Could be talking to it. Right? <laughs> and I, I, I am. I'm a baseball geek. And uh, my son really is. Oh yeah. There's just something about walking into a stadium, the grass. Yeah. So we've been in many stadiums now. That's that's one thing about this distilling thing that we've. Got. I mean, the experiences that we never would have had otherwise. We're on the field. At Gillette Stadium, the Patriots are on the field, and we're like 20 yards from Tom Brady. And not that anybody likes Tom Brady. Sorry, guys. But it's just iconic, you know? And you think, wow, if we hadn't been doing this, we wouldn't be standing here. This is so cool. But, yeah, just the experiences. Yeah. And so your kids are a part of the company? Yeah, they are. Yeah, so it's definitely a family affair. My uh, son works in production with me. He's in town. My daughter actually lives in Ohio. But she manages um, our social media and sports marketing partnerships and pretty much anything that you can do remotely, she does that. That's awesome. Yeah. So the family um, also is very musical, so we have to insert that here too, right? Yes. They're all, your children are also musical, and you guys, do you yeah. play anywhere? Can you play maybe at a oh, we, yeah, we don't halftime show more. or something no. coming up? <laughs> no. <laughs> Ouch, no. Um, my husband probably could. He still plays quite a bit. But, um, yeah, we don't. We used to play together at church all the time. We were all in the orchestra together when we were all together in that phase. But yeah. we everyone still has their instruments, I will say that. <laughs> yeah. So your husband's saxophone. And mm-hmm. My daughter plays clarinet. Okay. And you're and oboe? I'm oboe. And my son plays just about anything he can get his hands on, but mostly hmm. piano and saxophone. And then uh, my son-in-law, my daughter's husband, he plays trumpet. And my son is actually between significant others right now, so I don't know. But she'll have to be musical. She she <laughs> it's just a given. It's sort of you have to. But, yeah, it's Christmas parties, everybody plays their instruments or no? Not so much. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I would leave my violin at school on purpose on holiday break. My mom <laughs> because someone would always want you to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lindsay, go get your violin. Oh, I left it at school. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We can confess that now. <laughs> she, knows. she knows. She knows. She's lamented about it before. Uh, let's talk about uh, where the distillery is. North Kansas City. North Kansas City. Man, has changed so much in the last I mean, five years is probably. What was it like when you moved in to now? So when we first looked at the space that we're leasing, it's warehouse, um, parking lot, really not a parking lot, um, didn't really have a, I mean, there was a chain link fence around it, and there was a big empty lot next door to it, which now everyone knows has a big chicken and pickle on it. <laughs> but at the time, that was empty lot, and the building was just one big open warehouse. And since, you know, now it's subdivided, and we've finished our third of it into Tasting room, production, warehouse space, and cinder block across the street. 
has mm. doubled in size and just amazing. The One growth. of a few breweries around you. Oh, yeah. I think it's got to be the water because I think there are four breweries now in North Kansas City and the distillery. It's a lot. Yeah. I was thinking they must be giving good real estate breaks or, or, you know, have buildings that are really easy to convert into what you need. Well, and so. they are that because um, when we first moved to Kansas City about 20, eh, 23 years ago, moved back to Kansas City, I should say, um, my husband worked in Northtown and mm. he, it was all warehouse space, industrial. And industrial and that sort of thing. And now all those warehouse spaces are being converted into whatever because it's so versatile. Mm-hmm. It's kind of neat. It's just amazing all the growth. I mean, do you get foot traffic? We do. Would you have thought that when you first mm-hmm. moved in? Not really, no. I mean, when you were, if you were down there for a snake Saturday, uh-huh. obviously there's foot traffic all over town, but that would have been the only day when you would expect people to be walking by on the street. Oh, snake Saturday. But, yeah, that's coming up. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's a crazy day. Oh, my gosh. But that's always fun. Yeah. yeah. How did you guys come up with the name Restless Spirits? Well, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I'm kind of intrigued by these ideas of names with multiple layers of meaning. And so as a restless spirit, you know, it could be a ghost or it could just be we're just feeling restless. You know, we have this wanderlust. We want to explore new things, which we did. Hmm. And then, you know, it's just a restless spirit. It's a spirit that needs to be out and doing things and going places. So all those layers just really worked for us and of course we thought of the name and we're like oh i'm sure that one's taken this was like our seventh try on a name because really we we played around with names for years the whole time we were dreaming of it you know we had Hmm. to come up with some name in our mind but we were like i'm sure that's taken so we googled it and it wasn't i'm like "Hmm, okay so we submitted it for trademark and like six or seven days later somebody else submitted for the same name so we either just got in under the gun or I don't know what happened, but yeah, it was lucky. Maybe they heard you talking about it. <laughs> so they had some kind of a thing. Mind meld or yeah. something. That is, that's very, very odd. Hmm. Um, walk us through the whole uh, process you start. When, when you start up a distillery, you don't automatically have a line of products, which right. you certainly have now. Talk us a little bit through that process of how you add and continue to grow Um once you start distilling, because I think everybody thinks, oh, they got the whiskey, they got the gin, they got the rye, they, you know, they got all this. And then it's like, oh, no, it was a process, right? Yeah. You had to think that out. Definitely. So I, I think our first step was to decide what we were aiming for. And what we were aiming for was Irish whiskey. We, um, my husband's history is Irish, his family's. We've been able to trace genealogy back to a specific house in Ireland now. Oh, wow. So that's another benefit of the distillery. All of a sudden, we're finding things out because people are finding us. So um, that's another story. But we were kind of intrigued by the Irish heritage. So we did a lot of research into Irish whiskeys and what it takes to be an Irish whiskey. So that was kind of our goal right up front. But whiskey has to age at least three years to be Irish whiskey. We can't make an Irish whiskey because we're not in Ireland. There's a geographical, okay. Yeah, geographical designation there. But um, we can make an Irish type whiskey. So we, hmm. we're, we use the procedures. I have a pot still. It's modeled after the still at Bush Mills and everything. Hmm. Um, but whiskey has to age. So what do you do in the meantime 
to keep you from going broke. You still got to pay bills because you're a business. And so most distillers will start with clear spirits. Because they don't have to age? They don't have to age. Mm -hmm. So that would be vodka. That Mm -hmm. would be gin. And that doesn't take very much time at all. And you can think we had spirits out. And so the first products we had first was the vodka. That was the only thing we had first off. And then the gin, um, we had that. And then we also got a connection in Ireland through a interesting chain of events. And so we were able to import an Irish whiskey. And so we bottled that as well. That's our Sons of Aaron. So Sons of Aaron is an Irish whiskey oh, because wow. it was distilled and aged in Ireland. And then we imported it. Oh. And so that's another one of our products. So that's another way to get started and pay bills while you're waiting. Import. Import. Or source from another distillery. A lot of distillers will use products from um, industrial distilleries here in the United States. So MGP ingredient, they make a lot of rye and bourbons for distilleries. Hmm. And then they will purchase that and they'll either blend it or rebarrel it or just bottle it straight up or whatever. And, you know, it's their own thing. I know your uh, gin is called botanical gin. Mm-hmm. It's a botanical gin. So that means is that the juniper, which is a requirement for it to be gin, it has to have juniper. But hmm. in a botanical gin, the juniper is a little more in the background and the other flavors are allowed to come forward more. So it has the lavender. It has the citrus. It has... Um, some sweetness in it from certain botanicals that I use, and it has some spicy character at the end. and So it's botanical instead of a London Dry, which is juniper-heavy. Hmm. Did you have a palette for these before you started? Well, <laughs> so the story with the gin is that we needed to have the gin because you have to start with clear spirits to pay bills. I hated gin. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to create and put in a bottle something that I can't stand. It's hmm. not going to happen. And they were, you know, my husband's insistent. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And they're like, we really have to. I'm like, okay, challenge accepted. And so uh, one summer I brought home some lab equipment and bought a lot of little tiny sample sizes of all these different botanicals that I was studying about and created a gin that I would like. So it's Low a, on the juniper. Yeah, so the juniper's in the background and the other elements come forward. So it's basically a gin that even non-gin drinkers will like. Hmm. So, And then I hear that a lot. So I've realized I've hit my goal. And when people say, you know, I normally don't like gin, but I like this gin. So I think, okay, mission accomplished. <laughs> Is it recognizable as gin? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't – so um, the one – defining characteristic of gin is that it has to have characteristics of juniper. So if it doesn't have some aroma or flavor or something that you can identify as there's juniper in here, then you really can't call it gin. So you can. It's 50% of my botanical base is is juniper, but it's still in the background, which is amazing. Did you not like it, uh, Jen, because of juniper, or was there another piece to that? You know, I don't know. I'm not sure. You know, it was just like I tried it once or twice, and I'm like, "Mm, no. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't even try. I didn't didn't care why I didn't like it, because I wasn't interested at the time. You know, I was like, oh, it's Jen. Never mind. I've heard quite a few people say that to me, that just Jen is not their spirit, which seems really interesting when you look back to... Prohibition, right? And bathtub gins. I mean, is, it, is everybody just conditioned not to like gin at this point? <laughs> maybe, maybe. But there are so many different varieties now because yeah. I think 
people are starting to be creative. And, you know, it's like you have this whole playground and the fence around the playground is juniper. So you have to have the juniper. Other than that, you can go anywhere you want to in that whole area. Play around as much as you want. Is that why you think? Is yours pretty citrus forward, you said? Like makes a good margarita? That's why it makes a good margarita. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. And you have a very special still. I do. Tell us a little bit about it. It's got a name. Yep. It's got an onion. Darby O'Still. <laughs> Darby O'Still. Darby O'Still. Yeah. Um, yeah. Named after the movie Darby O'Gill and the Little People. Great Walt Disney movie from yeah. way back. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So the still is, it's a 500 gallon copper pot Irish still. Um, it was modeled after the stills at Bushmills when my husband and I were in Ireland the first time. We took pictures. And then um, there's a, a uh, copper and brass works company in Louisville, Kentucky, Vendome, and they make stills for all kinds of distilleries. We showed them the pictures and we said, is this something that you guys can make for us? Well, this was the first pot still they'd ever made. So it's really special. Um, But it took them nine months. It's all handcrafted. That's just the way they do it there. So it's kind of neat that we have a crafted still to make a craft whiskey. It's kind of fun. How how big is this still? How big is that one? So um, it's a 500-gallon pot still. So it has a capacity of 500-gallon working capacity, which means you could fill it to 700 gallons if you filled it to the very top. But um, you need to have some headspace for distilling. Hmm. Um, It's 13 feet tall. And like Jill said, it has an onion. So that has the big pot to it. You'll just have to come see. It's like Willy Wonka when you walk in. And then it has kind of a... A uh, head on it that's kind of a bulb onion shape, kind of like the mosques or whatever, you know, has an onion shape on it. And then it goes up to the rest of the head and then the line arm. But um, that onion shape on a pot still is what gives pot still whiskey its defining characteristics. Um, a lot of whiskeys are distilled on what's called a column still. And the column still, its purpose is to purify the alcohol so that if any impurities distill out when the alcohol is separated from solution, then it will be removed when it hits when it hits the plates. Um, but in a pot still, it doesn't have that much to interrupt the, the flow of the vapor. And so more of the impurities get to come through, which gives the whiskey more flavors and more what we call mouthfeel. So a richer character. It's fascinating. I know we're getting all science-y in here. Oh, that's great. We are. <laughs> I don't know if we want to nerd out that much. But. Of course we can. That's what the podcast is for, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, ha- we have time to nerd out. So. That's right. Um, so when you ta- talk about tasting and figuring out, yeah, that's good. It, I know I need to adjust a little less juniper, a little more of this, a little more of that. How does that How does that happen? Do you need, like, taste testers to help you, or is that just your palate that you're going off of? Um, well... In the first creations, it was just my palate. Hmm. Um, you know, anything now, – now that when I experiment, I've got all kinds of people around. I can walk around and have people taste things. And just if you ever talk to Jamie, ask Jamie. She says, if you're ever there when she's walking around with a beaker, raise your hand because it's going to be good. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs> um, but, yeah, for my initial gin, I basically just started out with a mental image of the flavor – and kind of mapped it out on a little chart. Um, it's basically, it's a web flavor profile. So there's five key characteristics of a distilled gin. 
And so I kind of identified which ones I wanted to have more of in the final product. Then in my research of the different herbs and botanicals, I identified the ones that would give me those characteristics. And then just basically did some calculations for percentage of, you know, the total that I wanted in there and threw that amount in the pot and distilled it out. And there it was. Wow. I know. It's fascinating. (laughs) It's fun. It is pretty interesting. So I did a class um, for Powell Gardens that was the aspects of gin and people who came to the class. Believe me, I had people helping me. This was not my idea. But um, (laughs) they actually kind of put their own recipe. There were two teams and they put their own recipes together. And people were really fascinated by the fact that there were all these different botanicals that go into a gin Mm -hmm. and what that smells like and just was really eye-opening for me. I guess that's sort of, you know, that web you're talking about to sort of learn what flavors sort of go together and then just sort of imagining how much you would want mm-hmm. yeah, in you your particular gin. You know your taste. But, um, yeah, I've done a couple of classes at the distillery. Oh, fun. Where I want to come to make one your of own, Make your own gin night. And that's what we oh, did. you did. Okay, <clears throat> We talked through, you know, this is how we, you can calculate it out and how you can decide what you want. And then I had, you know, all these different – whole table full of different things to choose from. You know, there are a couple of different rules you need to follow, but other than that – you know, have fun. What are those rules? I'm really curious. Well, because I, I think I would try to break them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we talked about one already. You have to have the juniper. Yeah. Um, okay. But there's another thing. It's every gin needs to have a fixative because some of the flavors will fade over mm. time. And so whatever you're trying to create won't stay the same because certain flavors will fade and certain flavors will actually become exaggerated. So you have to use some kind of a flavor fixative. Two of the most common ones are angelica root and orris root. So orris root is actually the root of an iris, a flower. And it's used in powder form. It's used in um, makeup and perfumes and things like that too. But that's its purpose is to fix the flavors or the, the aromas in place. So you have to make sure you have some kind of fixative. Otherwise, it won't stay. Who was the person who figured that out? You know? I know. I, yeah, I you know. do wonder about that. <laughs> that's you know, fascinating. I'm picturing ancient Egypt, you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm sure they did stuff like that. Yeah, that's wild. And it sounds like um, there's obviously science and very preciseness to it, but there's a lot of creativity and art to it, too. Do you enjoy that part? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah I think my science training helps me because I can take notes on it and I know how to do the math when the math is necessary, but I like the creative part, too. It's, it gives me an opportunity to be, you know, ingenious and creative and have fun. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. So um, it's just about St. Patrick's Day. Um, yes, it is. So like Irish whiskey, I think we should talk a little bit more about <laughs> that. We definitely need to talk about Irish Because, you know, it's, it's, just, <laughs> it's just good timing here. It's perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. What's your favorite way to have Irish whiskey? Um, I like Irish whiskey straight. There you go. Yep. So we have the two, we have the Sons of Aaron Irish whiskey. That's the one that we import. So we have a grain whiskey, which, um, do we have time to geek out on Irish whiskey? Yeah, Let's do. do it. Okay. Do. So Irish whiskey, um, according to the TTB, which is the United States rules, Irish whiskey has to be distilled and aged in Ireland according to the rules of Ireland. 
So then you have to look, well, what are the rules of Ireland? So when you look at um, Irish law, and in, interestingly enough, it's the agriculture department in Ireland that determines that. So in Ireland, there are four types of whiskeys that you can have. You can have a malt whiskey, which has to be 100% malted barley. Hmm. Now, that's different from American malt. American malt whiskey has to be 51% or more malt. But in Ireland, it has to be 100% malt. So Irish malt whiskey, um, 100% malt barley, and distilled on a pot still. That's the requirement. They have pot still whiskey which has to be at least 30% malted, at least 30% unmalted, and then any other kind of grain, and distilled on a pot still. And then they have grain whiskey, which has to have at least 4% malted barley, and then anything else. Usually it's corn. So the grain whiskey that we import is 96% corn, 4% malt. Wow. And it can also be distilled on a column still. It doesn't have to be distilled on a pot still. Now, the benefit there, column still is a lot more efficient, so you're going to get more bang for your buck there. So they usually will. If they have the opportunity to use a column still, they will. Um, that being said, that using a column still, you're going to have a much more delicate whiskey flavor because you don't have all of the extra flavor notes, the impurities that come through with it. Um, so our Sons of Aaron grain whiskey is going to be a lot more lighter, more delicate than a pot still or a malt whiskey would be. Hmm. Then their fourth type is blend. So a blended Irish whiskey is any combination in any proportions of any of the other three. So basically it's whatever you have left over, you throw in a big vat and there you go, blended whiskey. Blended whiskey. <laughs> Actually, I think blended whiskey would be tricky because, you know, your first blend might be by accident. And then if it's good, you have to try to repeat that. Hmm. Were you taking good notes? <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's kind of the, the background of Irish whiskey. And what I make, my malt whiskey is Irish style malt whiskey. So it's 100% malted barley and it's distilled on a pot still. Now in Ireland, they typically use seasoned barrels or used barrels, hmm. usually bourbon, just because there are so many of them. Bourbon has to use a new barrel every time. Oh. Yeah, that's the law. So there's going to be a whole lot of used bourbon barrels out there. And hmm. so Irish and Scotch will usually use those. Um, I will use a new barrel for my malt. So my single malt is actually aged in new charred oak. So that's kind of the variation between my Irish style malt and an Irish malt is that I use um, new barrels. Hmm. I have some aging in used barrels, but it's it's just sitting back there, just, you know. Getting better. Getting better. Yeah. Sleeping in the back barrel room. Sleeping. <laughs> what do you think it does to the taste in a new barrel? So if you use a new barrel, and typically it's been charred, that's going to give you um, heavier barrel notes than if you use a used barrel. Mm. So that's why um, in an Irish or even in a Scotch, you're going to get characteristics from the grain a lot more than you will from the barrel because the barrel's not new. But in a bourbon or any American whiskey that uses new barrels, you're going to get a lot more barrel notes and a lot richer color because all of the color in whiskey comes from the barrel. Oh. Comes off the still perfectly clear. It's amazingly clear. Um, when, you know, before you put it in a barrel, it's beautifully, it's like glass or something, liquid glass. But um, so all the color comes from the barrel. So if you're using a new barrel, you're going to get a lot more color than if you're using a used barrel. 
And interestingly enough, another little side note, um, one of the reasons that whiskeys started adding caramel coloring was because in the United States, we expect whiskey to have dark color because it will have dark color from a new barrel. Well, we import a 15-year, 20-year single malt from Ireland, and it's very pale. And people are like, well, that can't be done yet. It's like not ripe. You know, it's just not. You equate it with the strength of the liquor or mm-hmm. something, right? Yeah, with, with the quality rather than, you know, so the color becomes associated with the quality. So then Irish Scotch started adding the caramel coloring to it just because the American consumer expected it. But I think they're not doing that so much anymore, and I don't. But I think it's because the consumer is becoming a little more educated and they understand, you know, people understand the difference now, but at least mostly. But that's that's kind of an interesting side note. Oh, yeah. So Irish whiskey. So do you encourage people to drink it straight up or do you like all the interesting cocktails that people come up with? And Oh, I love trying the cocktails. Yeah. Um, my, the Stonebreaker, I love in an old fashioned. Mm. So, but the Irish, my, the Sons of Aaron, I like straight for sure. Mm. Um, but it's my philosophy is drink it the way you like it, because the purpose is to make you happy. So, so there was an actor on Stephen Colbert this past weekend from Outlander, and he has his own uh, whiskey brand. And so he was so proud to, to you know pour two glasses, and Stephen Colbert poured. Mountain Dew or Fresca in it. And I thought it was just the most offensive thing I had seen. I was thinking, no, you need to drink it straight up like they do, of course, in the in the series, which is set in colonial America. <laughs> so, well, yeah, I, you know, for me personally, as the distiller, I would appreciate it if everyone would taste it straight first, just so you really know what exactly. it tastes like. Yeah. Right. And then if you don't like it, but you feel like you still have to drink it, I guess you can add stuff to it. But my philosophy is if you don't like it, don't waste your sobriety on it. <laughs> Move on. Move on. <laughs> I've got other other spirits to Try show to you. Exactly. <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. I just thought, wow, that's interesting because, yeah, I, I don't know. I think of Irish whiskey as one of those that you drink neat, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and not as a shot. Don't just throw it back because yeah. you miss all your taste buds that way. Hmm. Yeah. That's unfortunate. Savor it. Yeah. So- I mean, I could see Prohibition age. You want to just throw it and get it over with because it's got to taste nasty. But now <laughs> there's so much nuance. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to miss that. So you said Rock Hill Grill. Uh, any other spots around town people can try it? Oh, yeah. We, yeah. We're a lot of places now. Um, so, I mean, Rock Hill is one of my favorites. Graham and Dunn, which... Unfortunately, I think they're leaving now. Aren't they gone? Graham and Dunn? I don't think so. No, I think they're still Are they still there? Okay, good. Because I would be sad if they were gone. Mm -hmm. Um, Hogshead had a great one, too. They had the stone banana. I don't know if you've ever had that. But it was Stonebreaker with banana liqueur. Weird sounding, but really good. Yeah, so... You know, unfortunately, they're gone too. Or what are we, the kiss of death? I don't know. But (laughs) He's at Plate now, by the way. (laughs) The chef from Hogshead is at Plate. Oh, nice. Interesting. That just Good. showed up on the gram. Sorry. Good. There you go. Good. Good to know. Yeah. Everyone um, landing on their feet. Yep. So, yeah, I hate to start. You know, it's kind of like when you're at the Academy Awards and you start listing off all the people to thank, <laughs> and then you forget somebody and you're in trouble. Like, oh. So it's like, oh, I don't know if I should start down this path because I'll forget people. Do you guys have a tasting room? Do we you do, do that. A tasting do. room. Yeah. Yeah. And we... Um, we have a very short cocktail menu just so hmm. that people can try it 
straight, or you can try it in a cocktail. And we always provide the recipes and everything. So, because obviously we want people to take it home and share it with their friends too. So here's how you can make this cocktail that you liked when you were here. It's fun. Do you have people that have made like a day of it in North Kansas City and you're one of the stops? Have you noticed Um, that or no? uh, Yeah, sometimes like they'll be waiting for their court over at Chicken and Pickle and they'll come over and enjoy a libation or um, there's a, you've heard of the barley bus. Have you heard of the barley bus? So the barley bus drives people around. You can like rent the bus for your group or whatever. And then you get to pick. Do you want to go to all breweries? Do you want to go to all distilleries? Do you want to go to one of each, distillery, brewery, and winery? Wow. And they'll drive the group around, and they'll come in, and they'll have tastes and take a tour. And then, you know, you can buy a shirt or whatever and then go on to their next spot. And, and they a, don't have to drive. Which I is love there you go. The yeah. barley bus. The barley uh-huh. bus. What a testament to how the local brewery and distillery community has grown. If there's, you know, enough to do that. Yeah. Yeah, and that you can choose between, and there's wineries, and they can go, you know, so they go to Amagoni, or they go to, um, I just lost the name of it down in the bottom, sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, I know, Stockyard, Stockyard Brewing? Yeah, the brewery down there, and then there was another winery, too, I was trying to remember, but anyway, there's a lot. There yeah. A lot of breweries, wineries, and distilleries, and you can just get on the bus and take a tour. Speaking of vehicles, I hear you have a very interesting one. <laughs> oh, gosh. That so, delivers, it's called a paddy wagon the paddy wagon (laughs) yes it is vintage it's a 1947 international paddy wagon i guess it was a mail truck at the fort carson military base in colorado wow and then it was decommissioned in the 50s and then it was just sitting in a yard in pueblo colorado which is like a desert so not a lot of rust and we were fortunate enough to get a hold of it and kind of repurposed it and now it is the international paddy wagon it just fits the vibe of the it brand, just, you it think? It fits. It fits the vibe. Because, you know, another tradition or stereotype for Irish immigrants was the cop, you know. So this is the old paddy wagon. So, mm-hmm. so there you go. And we've even got jail doors on the back and everything. Uh, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah. I hear it's outfitted, too. Like, right? Like Yeah, there's benches you can fold down inside, and there's a um, place you can put your shot glasses in it. And there's... <laughs> Where the fire extinguisher used to be, there's emergency gin reserve in the back. Emergency, that's what I want. Yep. <laughs> Does this travel to parties? I mean, well, it has. Yeah, we actually take it. Um, we were taking it once a month to the Kaufman. We'll probably continue doing that this year, too, and just parking it out there. And yeah, it's super fun. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't go very fast. <laughs> it's like so, 35 so miles max. But Can you vend just straight from the, from the truck? No, there's no, no licensing yeah. prohibits okay. that. But if we I park figure. it at a place that has, like, if you're, you know, at a event center, yeah, whiskey event or whatever, you could we can use that instead of the table and tent. We can use that. Oh, sure. So then we could, but it's not like a food truck where you can just drive up to some place and start serving booze. You know. <laughs> Darn. I know it's the ice cream truck. You drive through the it's neighborhood. It's going to happen one day. <laughs> No, that's a very that's a very cool thing to have. For, yeah, for events like that, it is really cool. And then on the back bumper, we have uh, it says "Don't we don't break for goats." So I don't know. Part of our part of our story, the Irish story in Kansas City, has to do with the rabbits and the goats. Yes. So if you're not familiar with that, that's uh, that has to do with uh, the mob days. So Tob Pendergast was. You know, an f- infamous character in Kansas City. I think most people are familiar with that name. But he and his 
crew, his gang, his whatever you want to call them, they were referred to as the goats. Um, and then there was an opposing, also Irish, faction at the time. And they were led by, if you will, Joe Shannon, who we don't think is a relative. There were just a lot of Shannons out around by then. But they were the rabbits. So the goats versus the rabbits. And they were always in conflict with each other. And interestingly enough, we are still all in the same city. And Tomstown, which, you know, they talk about the history of Tom Pendergast. So they're the goats. And we're, you know, we're the Shannons and we're the rabbits. So it's kind of the goats and the rabbits again. Friendly, kind of fun. friendly yeah. competition. Yeah, we've always talked about getting together and doing like a field day for charity, goats versus rabbits. But then we all got busy and we haven't yet, but it'd be super fun. You guys are both, yeah, really yeah. busy. Yeah, just growing like crazy. I was reading in your family story too, somebody designed the oxygen tanks that were on some of the Apollo missions? Yeah, so my husband's grandfather. Wow. I know, we have a big mural up in the tasting room in the distillery. And it shows his grandfather when he was 12 and he's sitting on the ground and sitting in front of a covered wagon. So when his grandfather grew up, he went to trade school and ended up being a machinist, ended up working at Benson Manufacturing, who contributed to the Apollo Project. Wow. So isn't that crazy to think that one guy goes from covered wagon to rockets on the moon? <laughs> that shows you how quickly technology yeah. sped up the last century, right? Yeah, it was, it's crazy. It's pretty cool. Hmm. But, yeah, It's going to be pretty cool to think about that span in our lifetime, too, because I've yeah. thought about that as far as, like, grandparents, like, oh, well, you know, they... I don't know, the phonograph all the way up to, you know, digital yeah. cameras and then, you know, like what what will that look like with us because technology is yeah. Feels like it's speeding up. Maybe they thought it was speeding up too <laughs> in a lifetime going from covered wagon to World War One started moon. with bayonets crazy. and ended with tanks. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. It is really interesting. The random things we talk about on our podcast. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thank you for coming in, Benet. Yeah, you're welcome. This was yeah, fun. Was Good. We had a great fun. time. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of Chew Diligence. Don't forget to go back and listen to our other episodes. Like Jill said today, we had a great conversation with Anurum Thompson and so many great local Kansas City food and drink stars that you stopped by the <laughs> podcast studio. Thanks, Benet. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Jill. <laughs>